Thank you. Thank you for your word that every bit of it is good. That every bit of it is there for our good to build us up, to grow us to be like Jesus, to show us the glory of our God. So we pray that that's what you do for us today, Lord. That you would lead us to be the, the fiery, spirit-filled people of God in all that we do. Amen. Question. Have you ever felt really divided from the people around you? Yes. Well, there you go. I'm tempted to ask for the story, but that's always dangerous. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I, instead, I'm going to give you a little illustration of my own, uh, which has been vetted by me first, although you may not believe it by the end. Uh, so, so um, a few years ago, I had a, a really powerful experience of feeling divided from the world around me. Um, we were, I, I can't remember if we had kids at this point or not actually. Let's go with several years ago. I really want to distance myself from this moment in history. Um, but we were um, visiting Crystal's family. It must have been when we were living in Alice Springs or Brisbane, but we'd come down to visit and uh, they, uh, they live in Manham, but we were in Birdwood for church and, and we went out to lunch after church with them at the, uh, the Birdwood Hotel. The Blumberg Hotel, is that what they call it? I think. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was going to be a nice time. We were with the parents and we were with Crystal's brother and his, his uh, wife and, and any kids that they had at the time, I can't remember. Uh, and I walked through the pub door first uh, of the group. And, and for some bizarre reason, uh, I thought to myself that it would be a really good idea to hide behind the door. Um, and, you know, there weren't many people in there. There was kind of one person behind the bar. We were in the back room, back, come through the back door. Um, I, I, I was going to hide behind the door and jump out. I think it was at my father-in-law. It seemed like a great plan at the time. Um, and his name's Doug, by the way. It might have been Daniel, my brother-in-law. I can't remember. Um, so, and that's what you marry into when you marry a cook, by the way. Um, just, just letting you know. Uh, so, so anyway, I hopped behind the door and, and waited the few seconds uh, before they came in. But it turned out, uh, as, as, as fortune would have it, um, that the rest of the family had actually slowed down. I can't remember why on their way to the pub. Uh, and, and, and whilst they were slowed down, another couple, I think, Crystal remembers it being a mother and a daughter. I remember it being an elderly couple, um, had overtook them on their way to the door. Uh, and, and so uh, when I jumped out... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I said something along the lines of, ha, I'm terribly sorry. I hope you have a wonderful meal. Thank you for coming to the Bloodberg Hotel. Sorry, bye. Um, I felt very divided from the world around me at that moment. I felt, I felt separated. I felt different and looked down upon, and rightly so, to be honest. Uh, um, I, I haven't quite lived that one down yet in... in the family law. In fact, I didn't even realise that I was going to have in-laws sitting in a front row here today when I said that. Um, it's going to come up at Christmas. Um, well, in Luke's Gospel today, we find a surprising message from Jesus. He says, I came to bring division. You know, thus far in Luke's Gospel, it's interesting, we have had several declarations that Jesus came to bring peace. Particularly, you know, around the moment of Jesus' birth, we saw this, right? We got this wave of people declaring that Jesus came to bring peace. You know, in the angel song to the shepherds, uh, you know, what does he say? He says, peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. When Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, uh, praised God, he too declared that Jesus would come to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
when Simeon uh, laid eyes on the eight-day-old Jesus uh, in the temple, he cried out, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. And it didn't stop at the birth of Jesus. Jesus himself has declared, uh, has, in a clear sense of his purpose, that he came to bring peace. You know, twice now, when he has uh, reflected on the faith of people and sent them away, he said, go in peace. He's given them peace. When he sent his disciples out ahead of him, he told them to declare peace for the households that they would come into. And yet today we reach Luke 12, 49 to 59. If you haven't already, flick it open. Uh, if you've got a Luke scripture journal, it's on page, I don't know, sorry, I've forgotten. 100. Oh man, that's very memorable for a forget, forgotten page. Um, yeah, today Jesus seems to throw that spectacularly down the toilet, doesn't he? As he declares to his disciples, I didn't come to bring peace on earth, but rather division. So what's going on here? We'll, we'll approach this, we're going to approach it in two parts today. The first one is from verse 49 to 53, uh, in which we find that Jesus came to bring a fire that divides now. So the first words of Jesus here are these difficult to interpret two statements. Uh, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So, so what's, what's happening here in these two statements is that the second one, the one about baptism that Jesus is straining towards, it gives us the mechanism by which we get to the first one, uh, by which the first one will be accomplished, the, the casting of fire upon the earth. And the baptism Jesus has in view here, it isn't his literal baptism. He's already had that, you may remember. He's talking about his death on the cross and his going down into the grave. This isn't the only place that Jesus talks like, uh, like this about his death. You know, over in Mark 10, he does the same thing. He says uh, to, the, to two of his disciples who say, hey, we want to sit at your right hand in your kingdom, Jesus. He says, are you able to be baptized with the same t baptism with which I'm going to be baptized with? By which he means, are you able to die the death that I'm going to die? Are you able to carry the weight that I'm going to carry? You want the place of honour? Or to come into my kingdom, I'm going to die horrifically to serve others. Can you go through that baptism? So in Luke, when Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptised with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished, not for the first time he's looking forward to the cross. He's looking uh, to this thing that is so prominent on his horizon as we are in this part of Luke's gospel where he is walking towards Jerusalem, walking intentionally, painstakingly towards his own death. In distress, uh, it, it, sorry, it distresses him because he knows this is what he came to do, to bear that terrible torture and more than that, to be drowned in the terror of all the sins of the world, of my sin, of your sin, to carry all of our sin and all of its punishment upon himself. But the reason he brings it up here is that the, it is the, the cross that Jesus will use to bring the fire that he talks about in verse 49. He's distressed about the coming reality of the cross, but he is eager for what will result 
from that. When Jesus says that he has come to cast fire on the earth, the first meaning we should see there, probably the primary one, is that because of the cross, he will pour out the fire of the Holy Spirit on the earth. Way back in, in Luke chapter 3, John, John the Baptist was questioned about whether he was the Messiah. Uh, and his answer was to state that someone greater than him was coming. And he said, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And on the day of Pentecost, up in Luke, uh, Acts chapter 2, which Luke also writes for us, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit did come miraculously. It filled the followers of Jesus. And we read in Acts chapter 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first sense in which Jesus came to cast fire on the earth is that he came to send the, fire, the Spirit of God into the world, into God's people. And, and not just as a once off at Pentecost, I hope we know. Um, the Holy Spirit, God himself in person, is the fiery presence that lives in each one of God's people today and is present in the community of, God's, of Jesus' followers, of God's people, leads us to be different to the world around us. The Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus. He glorifies Jesus and he reminds us of the teaching of Jesus. We read over in John's Gospel uh, that, he, that he points us, he will remind us of what Jesus has taught us and he will bring glory to the Son. In Ephesians, we read that when we believed in Jesus, we were sealed with the Spirit. He is the mark of God on us, a declaration and a promise to us that we belong to God and he will see us through those who have trusted in him. And, and, and before we say anything else on this, we must emphasize it is such, it is, it is, it is a unique in all of history and life privilege and above all others, that we have been seen, we have been given the Spirit of God by grace. That, that God resides in his people is, is beyond anything we could have imagined or hoped for. You know, the infinite God, the God of all the universe, comes down and, and makes his dwelling place in us is beyond imagining. It's beyond wonder. It's, it's more than we could have hoped for or dreamed. But then this fiery outpouring of the Spirit that makes us different to the world around us is what causes the division that Jesus then talks about. He says this, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. So we see here that the, the fire that Jesus pours out is fire that divides the world. So we must ask again, how do we reconcile that statement with what we've seen previously in Luke's Gospel? How do we reconcile it with the fact that Jesus came to bring peace? And the answer is that the peace that Jesus brings is peace with God. And peace with God inevitably divides you from the world. Outside of Jesus, there is no peace with God. 
The Bible is really clear on that. You, you could say that without Jesus, the world was unified. The world was one, undivided. Do you see why that would be the case, right? Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, which is to say nobody is saved. Nobody has peace with God except through Jesus. So outside of Jesus, the world is unified in death apart from God. Unified in sin and unified in being condemned by God. This is, this is the painful but true reality. So outside of Jesus, there is, there is unity in a sense. But when Jesus came, he broke the unity of a dead world by reconciling all who would believe in God to him, bringing peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the fire of the Spirit is a fire that divides the world and we see this working out and, and, and have done for all of history, haven't we? Um, to be a, a Spirit-filled follower of Jesus means that you have life from God in you. You have a message to share, a message of reconciliation in you for a world that doesn't always want to hear that message. And sometimes, uh, it, well, no, all the time, it means imitating a saviour a saviour who has called you to follow in his footsteps and sometimes imitating him will be offensive to a world around you and will divide you from the world around you. And all of that will make you visibly different to the world and therefore often divided from the world. In fact, this division isn't just because you're different. Usually it means that you will be treated differently for being a follower of Jesus. The, the reality of the early church, uh, let's look at them as an example, was that to believe in Jesus meant you would be persecuted. And, and it's the reality of the church for most of history in most places, even, even today. You could lose your possessions, your freedom, even your life for claiming the name of Jesus. And yet so many still believed because peace with God was worth all of that and more. I mean, I mean, look at the 12 apostles, right? Um, the, the closest followers of Jesus. If, if, they, if anyone was like the spirit-filled people of God, the people who fire had been poured out on, it was them, right? And early church history tells us that of their number, 11 were martyred for their faith, and one they tried to martyr and it didn't work out that way. And so they imprisoned him on an island. It's still reality that today. The gospel divides the world. The Spirit of God divides the world. The message of Jesus divides the world. And the more that the people of God are faithfully seeking to live as the Spirit-filled followers of Jesus, regardless of whether it makes us different, the more pronounced that division often is. You know, on the flip side, if, if you have a church, right, that where the Christians um, find themselves in the position of being undivided from the world... Um, when our actions are no different to the people around us, when we never utter the message of the gospel for fear of the cost of doing so, it's, it's there that you find a church that is shunning the fire that God has sent for us, shunning the privilege that we have been given. Now, the qualifier we must give is that some Christians are persecuted and divided from the world, not because they are faithfully following Jesus, um, but because they are harsh, sometimes even cruel, and often judgmental. Uh, I don't know about you, I've run into this. Um, 
It's not the sort of division that Jesus is talking about here. We have to emphasize that point. If you, if you go out here, of here today and start telling people that they're doing it all wrong and that they're awful people, then you've taken the wrong thing away from this because look at Jesus. Um, yeah. It is downright sinful to take the message of God's love for a sinful people given by grace and to use that as a, as a stepping stone, as an excuse to walk around being judgmental towards people. We're not called to be the morality police of the world. We are called to be the ambassadors of God's peace to the world. Don't get me wrong, Christianity has a morality. It comes by faith. But, but we need to get this whole fire that divides thing, I think. Um, it's important because practically it is very easy for us to forget that we have received the mighty gift of the Spirit. We have received peace with God and therefore we must be ready to live out our division, our difference from the world. We must be ready to live lives that are different. When we have the choice, here's some questions to, to help you gauge that. When we have the choice, you know, how will I spend my time? You know, we have to decide, will I focus on my own gain here and now or will I focus on the priorities of God's kingdom? When we face the, the conversations that we have every, every day with people who don't know Jesus and we have the option to, to bring in the things of God or to leave out the things of God, knowing that they may, be, they may be a point of division in that conversation and they may also be a point of salvation in that conversation, you know, we have to make that choice. How do we choose that? When we face the question of how do I use my, my dinner table, um, it's funny I wrote that into this sermon without knowing what the gospel kids thing was today. Um, you know, am I like my saviour in this and different to the world in this, in my willingness to sacrifice in order to invite in those who are not like me, who are broken, who need a lot of love? Let me, let me be a bit bold here. I'm denied about this a bit, um, but... I'm going to say specifically one area where I think we actually do really well here as a church. Um, so take that as the encouragement it should be. And, and, and one area where I think we actually do quite poorly as a church. Um, I'm generalising, um, but please, 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 please don't take either of these things as a reason to look to the person next to you and go, well, they're doing really well, but I'm not. Or, well, they do terribly, but <laughs> it's not talking to me. Um, please hear this for yourself. We're called to be a people different and we're called to be individual persons who are different as well. You know, here's, the, here's the pro, here's the good thing. I've been personally struck by the lengths and the, the costs that people are willing to pay to see the kingdom of God spread here uh, through Gospel Church. Especially, I mean, it must be said over this recent season of Alpha, um, there has been, yeah, like a, a real sense of personal sacrifice for everyone who's been on the team for that. Um, I don't know anyone who hasn't carried an enormous burden in doing that um, and yet they've done it willingly because they love Jesus and they're ready to be different to the world and they're really ready to step into the awkwardness of being those Christians who are running that Christian program down the road there. Um, yeah, 
the, the willingness to be different in, for the sake of the gospel has been just inspiring there. And not just the people who've been on that team. Like, there has been such a faithful mass of people in this church praying over that thing. And that, that's been as important as, more important than maybe what happens on the night. Um, so inspired by what's happening in this church there. Beyond that, you know, there's, there's one area that I think we do quite poorly as a church. And, and yeah, we'll see how this goes. Um, we, we are called to be a people who live out the reality of a spiritual fire in us that leads us to be like Jesus and different to the world. And, and this area that I would think of where we don't necessarily do very well at that is, is how we use our dinner tables, like I mentioned before. Now, again and again in the New Testament, like it's, 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 it's hammered into us in the New Testament, we see that ministry happens in, in the church. Ministry happens not just on a Sunday morning, but around the dinner table. Jesus ate and drank with people so much that in Luke 7, we read that, the, that his opponents, you know, he replied to his opponents, the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He, he ate and drank with people so much that they could accuse him of being a glutton and a drunkard. I'm not saying he was a drunkard. I think they were exaggerating. But still, he ate and drank with people so much. Again and again in the book of Acts, we see that the people of God existed around tables. They were gathering in their homes together. They broke bread together. You know, opening your dinner table to your fellow Christians and to the people of the world to the extent that people might accuse you like they accused Jesus of being a friend of people that others thought it was a bad choice to be a friend with. Is, is what we're called to. And it's just about, it's just about the most powerful witness to the power of the gospel that there can be, I think, when you open your table to a multitude of people who are very different to you. It's a witness to the reconciling love of God. It is a practical working out of that. But to be completely, brutally honest, I'm, I'm sorry if this is your first time in Gospel Church today. Did, don't take this as directed at you. Um, you know, since Crystal and I moved here um, in, in early 2019, late 2018, something like that, um, you know, if, if you accept, if you take the exception of immediate family gatherings uh, and, and, and then gatherings that are put together for the sake of a specific administrative meeting, if you take those things out, we haven't even been invited into the house uh, to, for a meal in, I think, anyone's house in this church since we came here. Now, I, I don't say that to get dinner invites. Um, please don't take the walk away from this sermon as we should invite John and Crystal to dinner. We don't mind if you do, but, but I, and I'm not just saying this to make you feel bad, do you see? But, but we must ask, if, if even the pastor and his wife, right, have, have never been invited over for dinner. You do have to wonder whether we are a people who invite each other in. And if we don't invite each other in, what hope is there that we're inviting the world in? What hope is there that we are actually living differently, not just on a Sunday morning for two hours, but when we go and we eat our food, when we live our day-to-day -day lives? How can the people of the Saviour 
who thus far in Luke we have seen eat with people from every stripe of life, every corner of society. You know, we're talking tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, and also religious leaders and Pharisees. How can the people who say they follow that saviour not even open their tables to one another? Don't get me wrong, I, I was that person. Um, I've been in that place. But we are called to more than this church. We're called to be not just a Sunday morning community, but a community every day that welcomes in the lost, practically, functionally welcomes in the lost. You, you, you might be offended by what I'm saying here. Um, to be frank, I would rather that. I would rather that than, than say a good sermon this morning, John, after church, um, and we all walk away and say the same. And, and the reason, the, the another oppressing reason why we must live like this now is what we find in the second half of our passage here today. In the second half, we find that there is a second kind of fire that Jesus will cast on the earth. Here's what he says. He says, when you see a cloud rising in the, in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. You know, to Jesus' original hearers, his message here was, read the signs of the times, the Messiah is standing right in front of you people. He's not, by the way, for you, I'm, it's not me. Um, God's chosen one, his promised king was right there in front of them and he was calling them to repentance, to come, to follow him. And more than that, his, his parables make it clear that, his parable there makes it clear that this is, this is urgent because those who don't repent, those who refuse to trust in Jesus, they face judgment. This is the second kind of fire that Jesus will pour on the earth. The risen Saviour will one day return, and when he does, he will be there to judge the living and the dead. And the fire of judgment, just like the fire of the Spirit, will be divisive. It will divide those who have trusted in Jesus from the rest of the world. The only hope of escaping judgment is to find peace with God now. And the only place to find it is at the foot of the cross of Jesus. So he says, settle with your accuser. The only way to settle with God is through repentance from sin and following your king. Trusting in Jesus. This is the truth that is so needed today. You know, the world stands to be judged, but God came down. God the Son himself came and took the judgment for 
anyone who would believe in him. It's funny, Jesus says, read the signs of the times, you know, fire is coming, so don't delay. The one predicted is here in front of you. Now is the time to repent and to believe. And for us today, we may well look at that and go, well, yeah, but Jesus isn't standing right here in front of me. That's John. He's not nearly as impressive. So is the message the same for me here today? And the answer would be yes, but more so. What we have is the fact that Jesus has come, died, risen, and promised to return The first fire is lit. The Spirit spreads the kingdom of God throughout the world through his people. The second fire, the fire of the righteous judgment of God, is more than 2,000 years nearer today than it was. Read the signs. Jesus is coming back. You know, if you don't know Jesus, let me chuck it in there, then your life is exactly how Jesus describes at the end of this passage. You are like a person moving toward a courthouse, rightly accused. Judgment is coming inevitably. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Not just the momentary physical death that we, that we think of now, but an eternal death. But Jesus says, settle with your accuser. There's a way to settle this. This is, this is the glorious truth of the gospel. This is the glorious truth that if you believe in Jesus, you've been given as the purpose of your life to carry out to the world. God stands righteously as our judge, and yet God sent his only son to settle the debt for us and for anyone who would hear the message and believe at great cost to himself, at the cost of his only son. God paid the price for any and all who will believe in his work for them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that in the midst of all I've said today, we wouldn't lose sight of the profound privilege and wonder of the fire of your spirit poured into the life of your people. That that a worm such as me would be seen fit to have the spirit of God live in me by the redemptive power of Jesus. I cannot comprehend it. And yet, Lord, in your love, you do it. Lead us, Lord. Lead us to be a people who are different to the world around us, who live in the fire, who are ablaze with difference to the world in joy at the fact that our Saviour has saved us and brought God into us and one day we'll be with him forever. Slay our pride. Destroy our sin. Lead us to be a fiery people of difference, even if it means we are divided from the world around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.